Genesis 2. We're doing Genesis 2 again, and this time we're going to look at the Sabbath tonight, uh, the idea of resting with God. Of course, it's questioned uh, to what degree is the church responsible to keep the Sabbath. The New Testament never tells us to keep the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is purely a Jewish concept. Um, We're going to talk about the Sabbath itself, where it is in Scripture and what it says. We're going to talk about Jesus, his practice of the Sabbath. We're going to talk about the church, its place with the Sabbath, and then we're going to talk about you. All right, Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Chapter 1 tells us about the six days of creation. Chapter 2 opens with that finish, the seventh day, which is the day in which he celebrates what he had done for six. We've mentioned briefly in prior messages that this idea of rest means to appreciate and inhabit to enter into because there's nothing more that really needs to be accomplished. And now you can enjoy the fruit of your labor. It's also used to describe um, a God in his temple. Um, the Jews do that too. In Psalm chapter 132, God rests in the temple. So as God rests on the seventh day, he, he's created his world. He now moves into it and he creates the humans to do some work within it, spread his presence to the ends of the earth. I encourage you, if you have not, if you weren't here with us last week, to pick up either through podcast or CD that so that you can see that really um, relevant message about our calling in the world today. So, God rests. You ask the question when you run into people, Hi, how are you? And it's just, it's so, we get into this rote pattern, just, how are you? And we say, good. We're going to think about how we really are. And maybe 99% of the time you ask somebody, how are you doing? You hear, I'm good, or I'm fine. Something very close to that line. And then you ask the question, how's life? And every time I ask that question, or I'm asked it, I feel like just as often as people say, I'm good, how are you doing? How's life gets answered with, it's busy. We're so busy. There's so much going on. I can't keep up. Oh, it's a lot to handle. I hear these answers all the time. And I catch myself saying that. And then I walk away from the conversation going, am I really busy? Why did I say that? I feel busy. But I mean, I did have time to get seven hours of sleep. That's never happened. But um, I had time to get this. And you start thinking about like, what... Why do we feel like we have to answer, I'm busy? Why do we at least get that response often? And I've come to realize for myself, I sometimes say that for two reasons. One, I need to justify myself. Although no, this poor person who's, answering, who's asking me a question has no idea what I've been doing and what I've been going through. Lingering in the back of my mind is everything I haven't done and all the insufficiencies of my life, and the things I haven't accomplished. And so I just need to get it out there while I'm busy. 
And they have no idea that I'm actually answering myself for the, my inadequacies to all these things in my head. I'm just busy. I can't do it. That's why I haven't called him. That's why I haven't talked to her. And that's why I haven't paid that. And that's why I haven't visited them. Like All of that in that little answer. I think sometimes I'm trying to justify why my life feels like I'm not in control. I'm just busy. But also, we in America have this feeling that to be busy is to be important. That the, busy you, the busier you are, the more important you are. Because, well, we all admire that CEO type, that type A, who's just going from meeting to meeting, and he's emailing people while he's driving. You probably don't admire that, but they do it. And they're, they're multitasking, they're writing a book while talking to their wife on the phone, and, you know, they're doing two meetings at once, they're texting, and it's... <laughs> this whole like multitasking and I'm so busy I'm going from thing to thing and we admire that in America like man this guy's on top of his game busy he's important he's in high demand and so we often want to feel validated in our life too I may not be that person but man I got kids doing this and that and I've got things to shop for and it just snowed unexpectedly the other week and I had to shovel things and I expect that and we're busy are we really that busy? Well, we say we're busy. And I fear that we really do have this pressure to make ourselves sound important. It's been said uh, that busy is an acronym, B-U-S-Y, for being under Satan's yoke. And as we look at the Sabbath and a God who has every reason to be busy... <laughs> takes the time to rest, it makes me wonder, who are we trying to impress and who are we trying to be when we try to make ourselves busy? And is it perhaps not healthy that our culture puts an emphasis on busyness as importance? Is that perhaps the devil's way to get us to be distracted from what really matters in life? Back in the, 18, uh, the 1700s uh, is when we started to keep track of work by time. And soon people were paid for their time. And ever since, a motto in America is, time is money. And it's very true. Because, well, if I'm on the clock for an hour, and I get X amount for that hour, and I'm wasting it, or I could be making more money for the hour, we realize that time is moving and we're getting money according to that time. Well, here's what happens, is when we begin to make more and more money per hour, that time becomes that much more important. And suddenly time has this heightened sense of importance. Well, it can get to the point where we begin to realize that whether I... When it comes to working or resting, work is far more important because I'm getting far much more money from work than my rest gets me. Rest becomes less and less important in life because it doesn't make the money like my hours over here in the office or on the field make me. Well, when we get in this pattern of thinking that our work time is more valuable than our rest time, then it actually begins this vicious cycle in which when we finally do get to rest, our rest time is actually a rest less time. Because this is what we come to. We come to, okay, wow, I finally got some rest time. Uh, how shall I spend it? 
And now in this day and age with so many opportunities and options, we have, just the internet alone gives you a myriad of ways to waste that time. And then with on-demand television and everything, you can pick from 50 highly rated shows, what should I do, or movies, or all this music that's accessible, or all these new restaurants we can go down and visit, or man, it's not just Citrus Plaza anymore, it's Mountain Grove, and there are many more stores and places. There's even a better movie theater. We don't have to go to that one in a... Uh, they're both in Redlands, but that one that we don't go to anymore because now Harkins is here. And choices, like, wow, there's like 15 show times for this one movie. Uh, do we want to go at 7.15 or 7.25? I don't know, you know. it's So if you ever have that moment when you're in rest mode, you're in recreate mode, and you make, you have your myriad of choices, you make the choice, and then suddenly you're like, it's done, you're like, why did I do that? I could have done 50 other things instead, and because of the choices that are available, we actually have more anxiety and pressure about our rest time than our work time is. Restless rest is not very restful. We do this too. Knowing that the time is short, our rest time, and we want to pack it in, not only is there a pressure of choices and, ah, I can't read and watch a movie, or some people try to do both. Um, So because of that feeling, we try to multitask things we do. So you've got your freshly brewed Colombian coffee in one hand. You've got... I, I might be talking to someone who's more socially oriented than that. I, so, newspaper or Facebook in your other hand. Scrolling through, seeing what the world's doing. While listening to a Beethoven concerto. Because you know that that's restful and you should do it. Because highly cultured people listen to those things. So I'm going to get it into my system. Scrolling, reading, flipping, listening to that. While Fox News is muted in the background. Just in case the world blows up, I want to see it live. <laughs> And on top of all this, we're entertaining either our spouse or our children. And this is, this is what the American downtime looks like because we're so much emphasizing on the importance of work and time is money that our rest time is like this. And now we're like, well, I got to make choices. And if I don't want to make choices, I just got to combine it all into this one pot. And when it's all done, you go to bed going, what did I do today? Your mind is still spinning because the coffee is still in your hand and you didn't know it's empty forever and you've microwaved it 15 times and still can't finish it. That really happens to people. So... All to say is, we, we as Americans, we love leisure time, we love rest time, and we want more of it, we want to work less and have more time, and ironically, we're actually working more and more, and the CEO world, the business world of America is actually just ripping people's lives apart, because these people are putting in hour after hour, hour after hour at the office, because they recognize that their boss promotes those who spend more time there than with their family and things they should be doing, and the CEOs themselves never take lunch, they like eat while they're jumping hoops and flying and doing other amazing things. We don't rest well. We don't rest well, even though we're looking for more rest time. Um, That's where we are. We're a busy people. Whether we really are as busy as we think we are or not, we're a hurried people. Because when we're not pretending to be busy, we're trying to rush through our free time, get the most out of it that we can. And we Americans are known for being busy. We're always in a hurry from here to there. So enter the Sabbath. Um, God rests. One of the first things he does when the world's created. That should tell us something there. And oh, by the way, God. 
God sees a point to finishing work. Now, could God have kept creating? If he did what he's done in six days, I would like to see what he could do in six years. But God had a moment where he said, this is very good. And I don't have to blow out expectations because I have no one to impress. I'm confident in who I am. This is what I've produced. And you know what? There will be a time I'll make another world for all my followers. Inserting a lot of thought here that goes through the scripture. But maybe we'll see more of that impressive work later on. But God has a time when he says, enough. And it's time now to enjoy what I've done. I feel like what we're doing in America, at least you see... um, those that are in the middle of their careers, is this mentality of, I'm going to work as hard as I can till I drop, and then I have retirement to enjoy it all in. <laughs> and there's no balance. There's no good balance of learning to work and rest side by side. So we've seen what Genesis says. I want you guys to turn to two other passages, because this is where the Sabbath comes back up as a command. We see that God does it. By the way, go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, we see that God does the rest, and you don't actually see the word uh, Sabbath here in Genesis 2, but what you do is you see in Exodus 20, God commands them to take a rest, which he calls a Sabbath, and it's based upon what he does here in Genesis. So in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. Israel just got liberated from Egypt. They're at the big mountain called Sinai, and God is now giving them his law. Look, Pharaoh's not your king, I'm your king. So here's how I want to see you guys follow me. Follow these, you follow me. One of them is the Sabbath. Law number four, it's in verse eight. Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember, Genesis told us that God rested on the seventh day and made it holy. Keep it holy. Six days shall you labor... And do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates. Uh, For in six days, here's the basis. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Holy is to take something and set it apart as unique or special. So, in other words, the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is different than all the other six days. Now, Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5. The Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy 5, although they're a retelling to a new generation. Which is interesting, because then you get to see, how does it slightly defer, and what is God now emphasizing in light of a retelling of the law? So you're going to see that. Notice in Exodus that it said, because God rested on the seventh day, you guys shall rest. This is a pattern for creation. In Deuteronomy 5, again the fourth commandment, we see it in verse 12. Deuteronomy 5, 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and you shall work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So now in Deuteronomy, your rest is affecting other people around you. It's not just about you resting. But it's about letting the entire culture have a better, healthier approach. 
You shall, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's really interesting. In Exodus, keep the Sabbath because God did so after he created. Now, keep the Sabbath because God delivered you from Egypt. Hmm. So, we have two bases for the Sabbath. One, we're imitating God, the creator. We are creating, we're working in our lives throughout the week, then we rest. (coughs) God then also says, but remember your salvation. You were delivered from bondage, so I want you to work and then rest. Lest work becomes your identity. Lest you're only as good as the last job you did. Lest work becomes your master and enslaves you. And so here we see the Bible is giving us utterance to rest. We also see in Leviticus 20 uh, that God has a Sabbath year. Um, a Sabbath year that every seventh year they're not to work their land, but they're to just let it grow wildly and naturally. I apologize. It's Leviticus 25, not 20. Leviticus 25, the Sabbath year. So here we have three things in mind. First, God is commanding rest for the creation itself. Human beings can overwork the creation, and we need to give the land itself, its animals itself, a breather. Second, human beings themselves need rest, lest they become human doings. We are human beings, which means you are, in essence, a being before you've ever done anything. We're not achievement-oriented machines, but that is what America makes us. We are created in the image of God and with value there. And whether I succeed at anything in life or not, I am still valuable. We need to be human beings to let go and realize that I am not what I make. I am what God has made me. So it's for the creation to rest. It's for us to realize that we are not God and that if we rest, the world still keeps spinning. And then third, and we'll get into this in a moment, the Sabbath helps our commission. We talked about our commission last week. That God put Adam and Eve in the garden to do two things, to work it and keep it. And the idea was that his presence is here in Eden, and there to spread that presence to the ends of the earth by working and keeping the garden. So making it flourish and protecting it from anything that would make it not flourish. So that commission Jesus imitates. He takes his twelve and says, you've now known God through me, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. This commission, the Sabbath, helps us to understand how to serve God in the world. And I'll get to that in just a minute. So, that's the Sabbath. It affects three elements. It affects our purpose in life, us as human beings, and the creation. So what God does is he, he gives us six days to control space. And space is what we invade, and we enjoy space, and we build things, and we use the space around us to make things great. We make food, we make buildings, we make cars, we move through space, we conquer space. Civilization is humanity conquering the space around them. The problem with it, though, is not a bad thing. It's what God wanted us to do. But the problem 
problem is, is that we conquer space at the expense of time. It takes time to conquer space. And so God says, let there be a halt on the conquest of space. Do it for six days, but on the seventh day, time is the ruler, where you now get to enter into not just space, but time. You allow time to just be. You're not spending it to get more things done and to accomplish and to conquer and have conquest, but you're going to simply be a human. So Jesus... Is the Sabbath for Israel or is it for us? Well, in Mark chapter 2, the last passage I'll have you guys go to. In Mark 2, verse 23, there's a story in which Jesus is passing through a field (laughs) with his disciples on the Sabbath. And it says that they made, as they made their way, this is Mark 2, 23. Mark 2.23, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, which you were allowed to do in the law of Moses. You're hungry, here's some wheat, grabbing it, and while we're walking, we're just going to kind of pick the grain out of it and eat it. Good snack on the way. But the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he, <coughs> he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, so basically, look, there are exceptions to the Sabbath. It's not this tightly created a little sphere in which you can only do these three little things in the Sabbath day. He's like, Pharisees, come on. Even in the Bible, people did more than this on the Sabbath. So then he says, and here's a clincher, verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, we don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves us. The Sabbath is this day of rest which is meant to give us what we need. And the minute we turn it into a list of rules and what we can and cannot do, we are now making the Sabbath a different version of the other six days. We have work and expectations. We have government. We have bosses. We have kids or parents. And they all have laws over us. And then we just make the Sabbath become a new dictator on the seventh day. Just saying that misses the point. The Sabbath is there for you to find the refreshment you need. Not please your religious authorities. So we then see Jesus in the next passage. It's Mark 3 verse 1. Really, to just undermine or undergird the point. Jesus is in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath day, seventh day of the week. And there a man with a withered hand is spotted. Jesus calls him forward. says, stretch out your hand. He does so. The hand is made whole and well. It's, well, it's like creation, isn't it? I mean, it was not good and now it's good. And then the Pharisees complain they want to kill him. What we see with Jesus is this constant, and it's often. You might remember recently in the Gospel of John, his challenging the concept of the Sabbath and seemingly choosing to heal 
we don't know this for sure, but almost exclusively on the Sabbath just to get under the religious, le- religious leader's skin. <laughs> just to make a point. And it's, it's, it's clear what the point is. Is that the Sabbath is not a time for humans to work the world and each other. It's a time to let God work on us. It's a time when we stop and we allow the divine to have its work done to us rather than us making things happen. And so we see Jesus challenging it. Now, of course, the Sabbath in his day became this thing in which Israel enforced strongly because Gentiles didn't keep the Sabbath. Gentiles had a 24-7 work concept. The Jews were unique, the first to have a weekend, if you will, literally just on the very end of the week. And so the Jews were very careful to keep the Sabbath at Jesus' time for two reasons. First, they got in trouble before, 500 years before Jesus, for not keeping the law. Specifically, one of them, the prophet said the Sabbath was a big deal that they didn't keep. So God sent an enemy nation to send them into exile. So when they come back to Jerusalem, they're determined, we're going to keep the Sabbath. We're not going to let that happen again. Second reason is that because the Gentiles didn't keep the Sabbath, and because the Gentiles are the corrupting influence, if we keep the Sabbath, it will give us distance from the Gentiles, from the pagans. So there were four specific laws that they were very serious about. Circumcision, because Gentiles weren't circumcised. Eating kosher food, because Gentiles didn't eat kosher food. Worshipping one God, because Gentiles worship many gods. And the Sabbath, because Gentiles worked all week. These four laws gave them distance. It made them exclusive and set apart from the rest of the Gentiles. And Jesus' issue was, you guys are using these laws, you're abusing them. You're using them to hold others away from you. And you're disciplining your own people in unfair ways so that they don't accidentally do something a Gentile does. And so Jesus is there reinforcing the Sabbath, not saying the Sabbath doesn't matter, but saying that the Sabbath lost its purpose and I'm liberating it for my followers. So that leads us to the church. Should the church itself practice the Sabbath? Where do we fit into this? We never read Jesus commanding us to keep the Sabbath. Nor do we read in the New Testament a single command to keep the Sabbath, which is surprising because the Old Testament did command it. So what does the silence tell us? What does it mean for us? We do know that the church began to treat Sunday like a Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for Jews was Saturday, the seventh day. We, the church, took it to the first day. Um, it's believed that perhaps the church saw this as the new Sabbath. Because Jesus rose on Sunday, we will then practice the Sabbath on Sunday. Just believed. Um, we do see that the church met in the Bible. We see that they met on the first day of the week. It's in relation to Jesus' resurrection. And the early church was full of Jews. It was predominantly Jewish. So it's not like we hijacked and changed the law. The Jewish, the Jewish believers went with it. And we don't read of any controversy about changing the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. It seemed that to them it was a symbol of rest and that the true Sabbath is now revealed in the resurrected Son of God. 
Not just an old historical concept that God created and rested, but that the Son of God came and recreated a broken world and then proved his accomplishment by rising on the first day of the week. And so we're not resting anymore at the end of the week to say, oh, it's all done. We're working at, we're resting at the beginning of the week now to say we're looking forward to God's finished work in the future. That there's still more to come. There's still a new world to come. And we will rest at the end when that world comes. So the church seems to imitate the Sabbath, just changing its day to Sunday. The benefit, although we're never told to keep the Sabbath, this is beautiful, because it means there's no reason for you to hold Sabbath rules like the Pharisees against each other. You know, Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday, and you went to McDonald's instead. I see the loophole you use there. Like, that's not the point. Now, I don't know if you guys have know this or been to Israel, but if you go in Israel on a Saturday, um, of course, they can't start their car because that would be work. It's like igniting a fire. But, but the elevator was a trippy one. There's actually a, a Shabbat, a Sabbath in Hebrew, a Shabbat elevator in which it just stopped at every single floor. Because they didn't, there's just the technical rules are you can't really hit the button to make it stop because that would be work. So if you don't know and you're up on the 50th floor, it's a long way up, buddy. <laughs> better, learn to have better elevator talk because like, it's a long way up. Um, that's not the point, though. That's what, precisely what Jesus was saying to get rid of. The Sabbath is here for us. So, so there's this day, and the church seemed to choose to gather together on their version of the Sabbath to worship, and then to find energy for themselves for the rest of the week. In a way that you need it. One of the things that would be good for us to recognize about a Sabbath, about a day of rest, is that we've been given a commission to make disciples to the ends of the world. To be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Acknowledging a Sabbath helps us pace our mission in this world. We're Americans. We're the best people in history because we're Americans, we say that. We're the best. We can do anything. So, the church, often reflecting America more than God, has this gun-ho mentality of, go conquer the world. Don't stop. Throw everyone under the bus if we have to. Burnout's not real. You're imagining it. Keep going. And we just push, and we push, and we push. And it's as if the church has taken the idea of six days of conquering space and turned into seven days of conquering space. Just absorbing, trying to get everything that we can, keep going, keep going. It's very important that, because in America we're all about productivity and achieving, but God's about patience and make, letting the mustard seed grow into a plant until it can grow and grow in house birds. He's about the leaven in a loaf of bread. He's about the seeds that the farmer sowed, and some didn't make it, but some did make it. God is more patient than Americans are, and he's willing to take the time. He wants us to expand, but to expand well. Not to just throw all of our ammunition out there and sell ourselves out to just to get as many converts as we can at once and then we don't have any longevity. God is so much more interested in the means we use than just the end. 
And sometimes we're just not good at the patience. We, we're talking to someone. We, we feel like we got them cornered now. It's like God is saying, you've got to accept Jesus. And then we freak them out and they want nothing to do with you anymore. God's about the patient growth, like the garden, spreading the garden outward. Let it grow organically. It doesn't mean you're passive. You have a role. But don't force the issue. The Sabbath can teach us to pace our mission in this world. That for a day, we don't have to put this burden to change the world on our shoulders. And we can say, God, let me just be a human and enjoy something. Let us just go worship you. I know I'm harping on the American culture, but I feel like if you don't do it, we just assume our culture. We assimilate into it. Someone has to step outside and say, look at this. Is this right? So here I am. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Whistleblower. Um, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if the church hasn't looked more like the NFL than it has like Christ followers. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. They play on Sunday. So do we. Theirs is a big performance. They try to get all the fans in the stadium they can get, and they got to win. We try to pull as many people into our churches as we can, and we want to win them. Performance, too. We want to have the best music. We want to have the most funniest speakers. We want, and why we, I'm just talking about the, the general American church. This is the concept. It's, it's attractional. It's about getting people into our doors. It's about an event. It's about showing them something, about ooing and wowing and saying, hey, God is pretty cool, isn't he? And when you think about it, we are like the NFL. We're putting our best up on the stage and we're cheering them on once a week and we're saying, go get them! And, we're, and we want to fill the seats and we want to win. It's really ironic when you think about it that we're putting all of our work in one day and then we're resting the other six. When you think about it, that's the way we've kind of gotten in America is the church institute does the work. And we gather for our big game day. And then we just wait six for the next game. And we critique like football fans do. They call it Monday morning quarterbacking or something. Um, we critique the speaker, the message, the worship. And for six days, we got a lot of time to better our game. And then we come back at it and we fail again. And, you know, it's just this whole rhythm of, wait a minute. God is about six days of work, one day of rest. We're doing six days of rest, one day of work? And, and think about it, because we kind of kind of survive through life for six days, and then we come to church, and we're like, yay, there are heroes, and we expect our preacher to have an altar call, and we want to see people saved, and we've actually turned church into that event of, of get it done, that event of work. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with using church to save people, because let's be frank, unbelievers filter into church all the time. And so there's nothing wrong with taking the opportunity. But I'm wondering if we haven't, and more of an uncultural level, if we haven't made church to become actually the evangelical moment. We want to imitate the Harvest Crusade every Sunday. And so, pastors get emails like, why don't you do more altar calls on Sunday? Why don't you, like, pump up what Greg Laurie's doing more often? Well, I'm reading this fascinating book at the moment, so I can't tell you much about it. I'm in the middle of it, but it's about the early church, and it's called The Patient 
ferment of the early church. And it's, this guy has done a lot of research reading the early Christian writings and anything history can tell us about the first 300 years of the church. And what I'm learning from that is mind-blowing. The church wrote not a single document on how to save somebody. But they wrote three documents on how to be patient. Further, the early church was so into making sure that their followers were actually imitating Christ, they would often assign, not every church, but in many areas, they'd assign a deacon at the front door to ensure that you were a confirmed believer and had been baptized before you entered. Nothing in the early church was about, hey, world, come and see what we got. Come and buy our product. Come and see our heroes clash against the devil. The early church was more secretive and said, let's produce people, not a product to sell the world. Let's produce people that through patience and rest and time and working the garden and keeping it are going to gradually grab neighbors and friends. And you know, the church grew. And it grew and it grew. And it's mind-boggling that it grew. Some estimate that within the first 300 years, 10% of the pagan empire of Rome was converted. Within the first 300 years, 10%. Now that's a lot when you think about it. One out of every 10 people in a pagan world you'd meet would be a Christian when they had everything to lose by being a Christian and nothing to gain. When you became a Christian, you became socially outcast. In fact, your business could have been deeply in trouble. And you could have been in, under suspicion by the government. People weren't always martyred, but that could happen too. There was everything to lose, and yet the church was growing. And the church had absolutely zero evangelistic program. And they didn't use Sunday morning as a way to get everyone converted. They used Sunday morning for Christians only. That's wild. Because we're doing the exact opposite in our present culture. We want the NFL Sunday morning church service. And we go get them. And I'm wondering if we haven't lost our commission by doing so. One day of work, six days of rest. God's asked us to have six days of work. And I don't think the point was only your job kind of work. It was the work that Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. Working it and keeping it and making, uh, subduing the earth and having dominion and, and being fruitful and multiplying as Jesus told us to do. Multiply, make disciples. That was the work for six days. The order of Christianity, from what I'm seeing suggested here in scripture, is that we are doing our evangelism for six days and one day we are getting energized evangelize the lost for six energize the saints for one but what we're seeing is the total opposite evangelize the lost on one big day and then go and energize yourselves with your Netflix and entertainment and food for the other six days and keep giving us money so that your heroes will do the work what if what if the church took on a real Sabbath thinking and said you know what and thinking Sabbath isn't just, oh, one day rest. It's, it's six days of work so that you get one day rest. What if the church took this concept and said, we are going to make disciples for six days. We're going to be fruitful and multiply for six days. We're going to take our gifts and our talents and work the garden of God's presence into our culture for six days. With my family, with my workplace, with the people I eat with, wherever I am, my bunko group, whatever it is, for six days, I'm going to keep bringing the presence of God wherever I am. And then on the seventh day, it's me and God time. 
(laughs) And we come to the church because we realize that we are in a six-day hard work atmosphere of bringing people to Christ. And we come together because we are tired and we need to worship God together. And we need to remember that we're in this together rather than the NFL concept of, yeah, it was good, I guess. Maybe next year we'll get the Super Bowl, Super Soul or whatever. (laughs) What if... Well, as promised, let's close this with us, with you, your favorite subject. Um, Because let's be practical. What does it look like to take one day of rest? What does it look like to practice the Sabbath? And I get it. it. Because you remember that the Ten Commandments said in Deuteronomy, it said, you take your rest so that your slaves and your servants and your animals can rest. Well, in America, we have a lot of bosses that don't believe in themselves resting. So a lot of people work for people that don't get a lot of rest. And we have a lot of people that have to take up multiple jobs and they work seven days. Listen, do what you need to do. I'm not asking you to like do something foolish and say, well, God, I did it for you, so I expect you to give me money. Sometimes you get just out of work, okay? So work. But learn to find that Sabbath somewhere in your life, whether you sprinkle it through a few days or you are blessed to have one day. But here are some things you can do for the Sabbath. And these are going to come contradict each other a little bit because remember there's no rules what won't work for you might not work for someone else and what works for them may not work for you so these ideas aren't going to make it's not a holistic idea some of them are going to be opposites so try unplugging try unplugging unplug the tv unplug the music unplug your phone unplug whatever is always with you or at you unplug it for just a day even half, if you can't do it, start with half the day. Or replug. Some of us need to plug into God. Some of us need to plug into those things we have to give up just to keep life going for a while. Some of us might need to just plug in the TV once in a while and lighten up a bit, laugh at something, see something amazing, get wowed, be entertained. So we might need to unplug, we might need to replug. Uh, we might need to eat out. Just have a day where you don't have to worry about the dishes. You don't have to worry about the mess. You don't have to think about, ah, the chicken goes bad tomorrow, but we've got leftovers that are about to rot, but I really want this fish here. What do I do? The decisions of dinner, then making it, and then figure out we're out of salt. Great. I should have seen that beforehand. Uh, rather than dealing with that, why don't you just eat out and let someone else work for you? It's so much fun. Just don't do it all the time. Uh, it's eat out. Oh, get out. Just, Just... Take a walk outside. Take a trail in nature. Uh, go shopping. Some people just need to like that energize you. Like go shopping. Uh, others of you need to actually instead of go out, you need to stay in and you need to stop shopping. You need to stop <laughs> consuming. You need a day where you actually stay in your house in your PJs all day long. Oh, and don't take a shower because that shower for some people just sets you back in the other six day mode. Just like totally let it go for <laughs> that day. Um, or sleep in, sleep in. Uh, I don't get to do, do that because the kids, either Brittany or I, one of us can't, but the other can. And but some of you get to sleep in. Like, why not? Come on, do it. If you sleep in every day, well, maybe you need to give it four that day. Um, something different. Uh, listen, take a day to listen. Like, not just the radio blasting at you in the car or the music going with you at the car. And we're really good at multitasking, and we never actually just listen to something. So just sit down and do nothing else but listen. When's the last time you took your favorite album? 
and I don't mean playlist of top hits because that's very unlikely. I mean an album where, where artists actually take the work of creating something from beginning to end, not just a collection of songs, but a creation from beginning to end. You sit down and you listen to that album, it takes 30 minutes, and you, know, you might actually appreciate something for once. Um, or you might have been like, what is a Beethoven concerto? Well, maybe you should go Google that and find one and listen to it and be enlightened or something. <laughs> Sorry. I, um, listen, or listen to a person. Like, maybe you're used to just, like, taking charge of conversations. Just sit down and swear to yourself you won't do anything but ask questions. And they're going to do all the talking. Uh, look. Take time to look at stuff. You know, you might do your exercise routines like in a gym and you're just watching TV or listening to something you're like you know you're not really observant but take the time to like unplug all that and just like observe take the day to just observe everything you see you'll be surprised at what you've never noticed before like take the time to just see what color things are or the hairstyles of people you'll you'll be you'll be just laughing at yourself i think or just even if you're doing the hike thing in the woods like sometimes you're just walking we're like just distracted just shut off the, the distractions just notice when's the last time you noticed the different varieties of purple wildflowers that are blooming right now i did the other day unintentionally i'm just like out there i'm like whoa i didn't know there's three there might be more but i noticed three different varieties of purple ones. i just, I just thought there were the purple ones and the orange ones and the red ones but there were different varieties and i noticed that and that like it did something to me, just noticing that. Just look, look, observe things, be aware. Uh, give. Sometimes just giving, truly, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and sometimes we don't believe it, but we just need that day to say, this is the day you give. So give, give, give a meal, give time, give a tithe, do something to just let go. Or live. And that really is the bottom line. Let the Sabbath be the day where you live. Where you live. Um... So six days we are asked to subdue the earth, to work it, to keep it. But for one day, the Christian says, I'm going to be subdued by God. I'm going to be worked on by God. And I'm going to be kept by God. Truly, that's a lifestyle. But we need that day to rededicate that I don't control God. I need to let God control me. The art of surrender and having a day or a time where we can just rest with God and realize that this is what he's doing, so I'm with him when I do this too, it may cause the church to be more attractive than our football-style services are. And maybe that's what the world needs, is people who understand work and rest, and that both are valuable and don't need to be crammed in.